It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. USC looks like it's one win away from securing a spot in the college football playoff. We got to talk about Oregon going down in the duel formerly known as the Civil War. We got to talk about South Carolina upsetting Clemson and, of course, we got to talk about the game. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast today. I'm at the Fox Sports lot where we had an outstanding live tailgate event, and that's where we got to start today. Michigan crushing Ohio State. Final score is 45 to 23, and by the end of it, we were seeing shades of 45-27 in Ann Arbor. Going into this game, many of us believe that Ohio State was right to be a seven and a half point favorite, and why not? They had not lost at the shoe in a conference game since 2015. That's a 29-game winning streak for them. We're also talking about a Michigan team that had not beaten Ohio State in Columbus since 2000. And at the start, it looked like those jitters were getting to Michigan as it was clear to us very early on that Blake Corum was not going to be able to go. He had come out with a very bulky knee brace on, and you could see his lateral movement, the thing that makes him elusive and quick, was not there for him. And... My goodness, I was going, is Donovan Edwards going to play in this game? Is Donovan Edwards going to be a force? What is J.J. McCarthy going to do without his safety blanket in number two behind him? And both of the underclassmen stepped up in a tremendous way to get a monumental win for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines in this. I think I cannot say enough about the job that Donovan Edwards has done because I'm going to reference it probably for the next two, three weeks because this was a star-making performance for him. I had wondered, when is Donovan Edwards going to be the explosive back that we saw a bit of earlier parts of this year, but also late last year? A guy that played quarterback in high school and won a state championship. When is he going to get his shot to be that guy seven and a half yards deep when Michigan needed him? And it came sooner rather than later. And what a time, because they're not deep at tailback it, behind Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. You got C.J. Stokes, who's still getting there. But they were deep at Ohio State, and I thought... If anybody could suffer injuries and fight back through that, it would be the Buckeyes. But here comes Donovan Edwards with 21 rushes for 216 yards with two TDs. Had some really long plays, the kind of long plays that we saw Blake Corum make earlier in the year to seal the victory for Michigan down the stretch. But I can't say enough nice things about J.J. McCarthy and the way that he really grew up in front of us. At the start, 
It felt like the Ohio State front seven was getting to him. He was throwing the ball all over the yard, but not to his receivers. And then, like, right on time, we saw Cornelius Johnson make a big play for J.J. McCarthy. He beat his man in a one-on-one and 10 took it to the house. And it kind of went into rhythm for J.J. He found Cornelius Johnson again, who... Until Donovan Edwards went off, we're asking the question, is Cornelius Johnson the best player in this game? And for the first time all year, it felt like the vertical passing attack that Josh Gaddis had given us a bit of last year with Cade McNamara, that Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore had not gone away from, but were a little ginger with their sophomore quarterback, had come into vogue and really... The style is there, right? We saw it from Roman Wilson. We saw it from Donovan Edwards. We saw it from Cornelius Johnson. I'm looking around going, Ronnie Bell is even getting his in. And the Michigan defense continued to step up and make life difficult for C.J. Stroud. I understand that Stroud played a fantastic game in this one. And I thought that he was going to come away looking like a Heisman winner in it. But I think it speaks more to just how the Michigan defense was able to bend Without breaking, and Jesse Minter did an outstanding job calling a great game. They didn't have Mike Morris available to them, and I think that that was going to show, or I thought it was going to show in that front, and it did not. You saw what they were trying to do for uh, to CJ, which is essentially, hey, make that them beat us through the air. We're not going to let you run the ball with Mayan Williams. Even when Chip Trainum came in there to give them a little bit of burst, it felt like Michigan was running downhill. Mike Sanders still also had an outstanding game. Really excited for what they have in store for the Big Ten Championship game, for which they now qualify as the Big Ten East champion. Question is, how much is Ryan Day to blame for Ohio State's performance today? I'm not sure. You know, there's a bunch of really second-guessing we could do, right? Going for three when it felt like perhaps you should go for a TD. It didn't look like getting field goals was going to be the kind of thing that allowed you to beat Michigan, but as they were still really having an opportunity to take the game over Ohio State just kind of let Michigan hang around. And Michigan did a great job of hanging in there and hanging around. And then they got the game to come to them. And the longer the game went on, the more it fell into Jim Harbaugh's hands. And away from Ryan Day, who wants to set tempo and pace and wanted to use the vertical passing game to try to get out in front. But Michigan is a second-half football team and has been all year. They've scored outscored their opponents by over 100 points at this point going into their Big Ten championship game. And they finish strongly. I mean, I feel good for Jim Harbaugh, who gets to say he doubled up Ohio State back-to-back years. This is after 10 straight losing, uh, 10 straight years losing this game to Ohio State. And frankly, we got to talk about Jim Harbaugh in the Coach of the Year conversation in a way that I didn't think we were gonna before this game started. I was really, I was intrigued to see how he was holding on to dear life at the end, trying to contain his joy. But to get that win in that hostile environment where it's a sea of red, I think the committee's going to smile on that win. At worst, they're going to be the number two team in the country, if not have an argument for the number one team in the country. Again, what will Michigan do on Tuesday? I don't know that they'll be at number one, but they certainly got an argument, right? And that's the point here. You beat the number two team in the country who was also undefeated. For me, they now have the best win in college football. And that's me putting Georgia's win against Tennessee behind it because Georgia was at home playing against Tennessee at home, having the home crowd. You hear what I'm saying about home here? Michigan went into Columbus, Ohio, into a place where they are hated, where they don't even say their name, and shut up the crowd, putting up 45 points on a team that was cut in half in its scoring, right? They averaged 46.5 points a game going into this game, Ohio State. They scored just 23 today. And Michigan did what Michigan does. We're going to run the ball. 
We're going to trust our offensive line to make those holes for our tailbacks, and we're going to trust our tailbacks to hit those holes and hit home runs for us. Outstanding win for Jim Harbaugh. Outstanding win for Michigan. They should feel good about handing Ohio State its worst loss in this rivalry in Columbus since 1976. My goodness. Next question you you got to ask is, what does Ohio State do from here? Because they had said for 365 days, we've just been trying to get back to this game. They were lathered up. They were pissed. They said that we were going to make Michigan hurt. Michigan took all of that, gave it back tenfold, and now we're back to having a rivalry. Now, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're saying, hey, we won this 10 years in a row. Can they win it 10 years in a row before we talk about it? Sure. But it stings today, and Michigan still has an opportunity to play in the college football playoff, if not play for a national championship, and Ohio State is really at the mercy of the committee. And we'll talk about what that means for them as we continue to go through tonight and into championship week next week. So from that outstanding, crushing win for Michigan against Ohio State, let's go all the way to the West Coast for the game that just finished. Number 6 USC defeats number 15 Notre Dame 38-27. to This was well and truly the Caleb Williams show. You heard my partner on Tuesday's Jeff Schwartz and Oregon Ducks say, Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. I said, I, I don't know about that, dog. C.J. Stroud's been looking pretty good. And if Blake Quorum could go, and he had a great game, I thought that that was in play too. But you saw why Jeff had said what he said. Caleb Williams is the show. As a matter of fact, I hear many people tell me often that they believe that Caleb Williams has Patrick Mahomes tendencies. And I'm going, yeah, that sounds like you watch a lot of NFL. And I'm with that. I understand what you mean. The arm angles, the ability to be mobile in the pocket, and the ability to go win games. But I'm going to go back to an Oklahoma quarterback in Kyler Murray. The way that he was able to toy with a good Notre Dame defense cannot be ignored. He hit them with spin move after spin move. They go up 17-7 just before half. He's in the Heisman on the sideline. He is looking back at them as he's running into the end zone. He had three rushing touchdowns in this game. And there were opportunities for Notre Dame to take this game over. They had them in third and long situations. We're talking about third and 20s, and he's outrunning the defense to find Mario Williams on the sideline. He's getting an outstanding play from guys like Taj Washington, from Jordan Addison, Mario Williams coming up big, Austin Jones running all up and down Al Golden's front seven. There was nothing that Notre Dame's defense could do to stop Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, and that offense from doing exactly what they wanted. And as much as we want to make fun of, and we should continue to make fun of, USC's defense for not being able to really stop people because Drew Pine did at times look like a Heisman contender here, they got the turnovers when they needed them. Like, Drew Pine was 12-12 to start this game, I believe 13-13, for when he put the ball on the floor and USC picked it up, and that's a 14-point swing because Caleb put that in the end zone. And that was just how the game unfolded for USC. It's almost as if it deserved to be a sellout crowd, and I'm going to put Trojan fans on front street and going, where are you? This is number six Notre Dame that you're playing. You're playing for a spot in the college football playoff, in the national championship, in your first year. Sell out the Coliseum. That's all we're asking here. I understand. I'm in LA. It's nice outside. But doggone it, man. What else do they have to do to earn your respect to go to the Coliseum and watch the game as you're beating up on a hated rival? in Notre Dame, who also has the ACC championship in the back of their pocket just based on what they did to Clemson North Carolina, but that might not mean so much after the way this game ended. Look, I'm also looking at the stat line, 18-22, 267 total yards for Caleb Williams and four total touchdowns. I think at at the very least, USC 
is going to be ranked at number four, right? Going into the championship weekend where we'll find out who they play in the Pac-12 championship. As we're doing the show right now, Washington and Washington State are playing for the Apple Cup. And because Oregon, well, to get ahead of myself just a little bit, did not come through on their end, we're going to have to wait and see who USC's opponent's going to be, but it's going to be about USC no matter who's in that game on Friday night. I'm excited for it because with the win, we might be looking at USC versus Georgia in the college football playoff, or as I'm going to refer to it, Lincoln Riley versus Kirby Smart part two. I'm excited for that. That's going to be an outstanding game if we get it. Also, full credit to Lincoln Riley and his staff for what they have been able to do in just one year. Now, I am the first person to point out, yeah, they took half the staff and most of the roster from Oklahoma to USC and made it Oklahoma West, but then they went and won games. They got the one loss to Utah, right? Controversial call at the end, very close game. They're that one loss from being undefeated. That's another man you have to talk about in the Coach of the Year conversation. That's just full stop there. He has done an outstanding job in year one at a place that he just got to last November. A year later, he has his team right back where he has had every other team he's head coach in position to play in the college football playoff once again. It's just, can he get out of the first round? We'll see. But first, got to take care of business in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, that is where it gets kind of funny on who they're going to play in this game because the Civil War also Played this afternoon, and you'll know. Oregon State upset Oregon. Number nine, Oregon. Score was 38-34. My goodness, I'm watching this game, and I, I could not believe what was happening in front of me because Oregon had taken a 21-point lead, and it felt like all they had to do was sit on the ball. That's all you had to do because Oregon State could not throw the ball. As a matter of fact, we're talking about a quarterback that finished with 60 yards passing and two interceptions and could not be trusted toward the end of the game for Oregon State because they ran 19 straight rush plays, got 143 yards out of this, but Oregon kept giving them opportunities, giving the ball away, putting the ball on the ground, squandering another outstanding game from Bo Nix, who was playing hurt, still passed for 300 yards. Now we're talking about an Oregon State team that is on par with Oregon, right? These are two teams that, one, we expected to be here in Oregon. Oregon State, we did not. And I think that Jonathan Smith is probably going to end up, if not Lincoln Riley, as Pac-12 Coach of the Year for what he was able to accomplish in just this year. I had kind of alluded to it a couple of weeks ago when I looked at the schedule and said they could be looking at nine wins to beat up on an Oregon team that has shown signs that maybe they can't finish the game like they couldn't against Washington. And Oregon State bowed up. The defense bowed up. You had first and goal near the end of the game where Oregon had an opportunity to go up by two if they get into the end zone. You had Dan Lanning on the sideline holding up fours, letting his offense know, I'm going to give you four chances to go stick this in from first and goal. And the Oregon State defense continued to step up time and time again. Three times they stuffed the run, and then they broke up a pass that Bo Nix thought he could complete on fourth and goal. I felt bad for him, but I felt great for Oregon State and Jonathan Smith. It's their first win against a top 10 Oregon team in the college football playoff era. You got to feel good about that. And perhaps they are the reason that Oregon might not play in the Pac-12 championship game as Washington and Washington State still have to figure that out for us. Depends on what happens, but Oregon needs Washington to lose. And, you know, Washington would like nothing else than send Oregon packing once again, would basically land in the second loss in the same season. I'd be excited to see that. So I also thought that watching my buddy Jeff kind of lose his mind on the Twitters was a lot of fun. But uh, I also know how much it hurts. Uh, To Jeff's point, though, 
he doesn't feel great about the way the game ended, and he shouldn't. If you're a Ducks fan, you know you had this game wrapped up. You know you were the better team, and now you got to figure out what went wrong and how you're going to fix it. And you're going to have to do that without Kenny, Danny, Kenny Dillingham next year because it feels like Kenny Dillingham is going to accept the job as being head coach at Arizona State. So you got a new offense coordinator, got a new quarterback, and you're going to have to go back to rebuilding that offense and the kind of thing that can get you back in a position to play, hopefully, for a Pac-12 championship. But we'll see. A game that was not on the rundown to start tonight, but ended up there, is Texas A&M upsetting number five, LSU, 38 38- 223. All right. I have been making jokes all week about the College Football Playoff Selection Committee ranking two loss LSU number five in the country ahead of other teams that deserve to be there. Tennessee for one, Clemson for another. I would even go with something like Alabama at times or even reach down back to North Carolina if that's what I wanted to do. But they decided no. They won the SEC West. We're going to make them a top five team. I'm looking around going, you mean this team that lost to Florida State? That 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 one? Yeah, they beat Bama, but so did Tennessee. And you're telling me that you really think that's a top five team? And AM, goodness me, they gave us all the W that we've been looking for from them all year. We knew that AM was a more talented football team than LSU just looking at the rosters. But I don't know that there has been a team that has underachieved to the degree that this 2022 A&M team has. Because I watched them take apart LSU. I watched them hit them in the mouth, put dudes on the ground, pick up the ball, run it back in. I watched Devin A-Chain have an outstanding day. I watched Connor Weigman grow into being what I hope is the starting quarterback for next year. I wanted to see it all year. And maybe we're talking about A&M being in the spot that LSU is in when they get to play for an uh, SEC championship game. But now... Where are you going to put LSU in your rankings if you college football playoff selection committee because they embarrassed you. And the last time that a team embarrassed you, Tennessee, you dropped them just inside of the top 10 for getting 63 hung on their head by South Carolina. I want to see the college football playoff selection committee account for this error that they made last week and act appropriately with LSU. AM and players also not just saved Jimbo Fisher's job, but perhaps save the team. Because one of the questions that I had asked was, if AM goes to 4-8 and eight and not 5-7, and seven, how many of these players are here at AM next year? Why not just go into the portal and try to find another culture that fits? Because it didn't feel like this was one that was staying together. You had players that were indefinitely suspended. You had players that were absolutely acting out of pocket. You had a Jimbo Fisher who was bouncing all around in the narrative that he was presenting and how they needed to get better or not get better. You lost to Appalachian State at Kyle Field. It just wasn't looking good until you got this win against your SEC rival to knock them completely out of the college football playoff. I don't care if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. You can't let that team into the playoff, and I don't expect that the playoff selection committee will, given what other teams qualify. LSU is also wildly confusing. I mean, look, I watched him against Alabama. I watched Jaden Daniels be that dude to knock off Alabama. And I also watched him lose to Florida State. And then I watched him get dunked on by AM. I just want Brian Kelly to figure it out, tell me who's doing what and why. But I'm going to admit, I've had a lot of fun watching this version of LSU. And I'll watch it again next year because if nothing else, they are entertaining. And that's what I want. Entertain me. Please entertain me. South Carolina chose to entertain me. I had said, going into this week, 
maybe South Carolina can do us a solid two back-to-backs here, right? Can you take down two top 10 opponents to finish the season? They said, RJ, we got you. We got you, dog. South Carolina upsets number eight Clemson, 31-30. to They come back from double-digit deficit, I believe it's 24-13 at halftime, to win this game. They held DJ Uwe Ungalale to 8 of 29 for 99 pass yards with a TD and a pick. The Clemson quarterback situation just does not look good. It is the thing I've been harping on all year. I said they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, they do. It's Cade Clubbin. Yeah, they do. It's DJ Ungalale. No, they don't have a quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback, it's going to be really difficult for you to pass the ball. And I wanted Will Shipley to have a much better season this year. Honestly, I thought they were slow in making this his team and slow to just saying we should treat that guy the way that we used to treat Travis Etienne. But now that they have figured out we're not that good, but we are good enough to play for an ACC championship, I wonder how we're going to look at the rankings once again with Clemson because South Carolina has done something they haven't done in their history which is beat two top 10 teams back-to-back. They beat Tennessee in Columbia. They win the Palmetto State Championship in Death Valley, by the way, which means they stopped a 40-game win streak from Clemson at home. What a way for Shane Beamer and his squad to go out in the regular season. He is living his best life right now. He is talking all the noise he is. And Spencer Rattler smoked a cigar in the visiting locker room Felt really great for him because these last couple of games have been the guy that I knew coming out of Arizona, coming out of Pinnacle. The guy that we all thought was going to be that guy at Oklahoma in 2020, even going into 2021. And I'm grateful to see that it came together for him, that it came together for Marcus Satterfield, who recruited Spencer Rattler by saying, people think I suck. People think you suck. I don't suck. You don't suck. Let's go show them that we don't suck together. And that has been their mantra, and they've made that work at South Carolina. I'm excited to see what the SEC East looks like next year because, yes, it's still Georgia's division. But, my goodness, uh, South Carolina gave us a lot to be proud and delighted by because that also means there is no Clemson in the college football playoff. And if there's one thing that I'm tired of seeing, it is Clemson in the college football playoff playing a watered-down ACC schedule. They'll have to be content playing the ACC championship game against a North Carolina team that deigned to lose to North Carolina State with the third-string quarterback, okay? The ACC is doing exactly what we thought it would do, which is fold. For the first time, nobody over there has an opportunity to get into this playoff in conference championship week, and that's that's uh, moving for me, quite honestly, because I just I've been beating that drum for a very long time as an Oklahoma fan, but... We'll get to Oklahoma here in a little bit. Well, maybe we'll have to say that for Sunday because they're in a dogfight with Texas Tech trying to get to seven wins. Next on the on, on the list for me is Kansas at Kansas State. Kansas State has a 20-point lead with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Feels like we're going to talk about Kansas State playing against Texas Christian in the Big 12 championship. And that's with three minutes left and a 20-point lead. I'm, I'm going to venture there. Now. Texas Christian took care of business against Iowa State, a game that I thought could be a trap game for them. They won 62-14. to Coincidentally or not, they also beat Iowa State by 48 when they played in 2014 and were left out of the playoff. This time, there is no loss on the resume. They are 12-0. They will go into the Big 12 championship game ranked at worst at number three. They take care of Kansas State to get in, but Kansas State has come into its own 
over the last few weeks with Will Howard at quarterback. We all know that Deuce Vaughn is that dude at tailback. I'm excited to see the two purple teams go at each other for the Big 12 championship. That ought to be a lot of fun. Lance Leipold also signed an extension through 2029 to stay as the Jayhawks head coach. I love that. We love Lance Leipold here on the number one college football show. We love that Kansas is back to winning football games and competing in a very real way. I also love that the Sunflower game or the Sunflower State game meant something this year because if Kansas State lost that because Texas took care of Baylor, Texas is going to get into the Big 12 championship game. Kansas State needed to answer the bell, and they did, unlike, say, Oregon in their in-state rivalry game. What, look, we're going to talk a, more, a lot more about the Big 12 championship on Sunday's show when we go through my top 25 and we see it our setup for the conference championship. On the way out very quickly, I mentioned that TCU destroyed Iowa State. I don't know that they have an argument for being number two or number one, but three is where I would slot them. If they fall below three, we gotta, we're going to have a problem, and we'll talk about that Tuesday when those rankings come out. Purdue knocked off Indiana 30-16, to and with the loss of Iowa to Nebraska— they get into the Big Ten championship game. So we're going to have Michigan versus Purdue. Purdue playing in the conference championship game for the first time in school history. Shout out to Jeff Brom, to Aiden O'Connell, who started as the six-string walk-on quarterback at Purdue and managed to lead this Boilermaker team into its first berth in the conference championship game. Charlie Jones also continues to be that dude. He had four catches, 443 yards, and a TD. It feels like right now, and the way that Heisman winner is probably going to be Caleb Williams, all things shake out the way we think they are. Charlie Jones has a real argument to be in the Bolitnikoff Award winner. What he has meant to the Boilermaker offense is not unlike what David Bell meant last year, what Rondell Moore meant two years ago. Outstanding player. And then Alabama conquers Auburn 49-27. to This might have been the last time that we see Bryce Young in an Alabama uniform. It would not shock me to find out that he skips the bowl game, prepares for the NFL, we're going to see a lot of those decisions being made here of late. C.J. Stroud is another one of those. We're not sure about whether or not he's going to play in a bowl game because for these teams and for those players in particular, it was about getting to the college football playoff and playing for a national championship. And for Ohio State and Alabama, that's just not so. So this week 13 of college football delivered in a very real way. I've had so much fun all day watching these games, talking with you on the Twitters, doing the show tonight. And we'll pick it up on Monday morning when we talk about just what transpired in the rankings, when we talk about what is going to set us up for the conference championship, and we prepare ourselves for award season as it is upon us. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, who was at the Coliseum supporting his Notre Dame fight in Irish. Didn't go the way that he wanted, but I'm glad that he got to see that game in person. I'll ask him about it. Maybe we'll be able to do a bit about it on the show. Our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly, who's been at work all day, just like me, doing two shows. Love her. Our director, Kyle Holly, also, same thing. All day, two shows. It's been a treat for me. Our, man, goodness, our lead of screening, Rachel Cohn, is really bent the world to me. Uh, you would know YouTube. That is her. Love her. I can't wait to see what she does next. JV Duncan is our social media maven. Continues to stay up on the tweets, on the Instagrams. Is constantly in my DM saying, hey, RJ, we should do this. We should do that. This has been a fantastic season for us. I've been very, very fortunate to work with the team. And we got a couple more shows left to do. But this here now, this is the Yankees job. And I'm having a great time. All right. 
That's it for me. We'll see you on Tuesday. Deuces.